Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pre-Real Podcast. We're joined today uh, at maybe the best timing ever by Josh Plave. Um, Josh is the founder of Wall to Main. He's a, a full-time multifamily investor. Uh, Josh specializes in uh, accessing, unlocking, uh, and using those retirement funds to become an investor in the multifamily market. Um, a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we, we just had a big announcement from the Fed, so we'll touch on that as well. I'm not sure that there's ever been a better time to have this conversation. So, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much, James. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, look, I, I think there's a lot of value you can deliver for the audience today. So uh, let's go ahead and just jump right in. So uh, first first question I, I usually lead with is I think it's, it's good for the audience to have some context, a little bit of background. Uh, could you give us a little bit of, of detail on the journey and how you, you landed where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I primarily focus on retirement funds. Uh, and a lot of people kind of ask, you know, how is someone I'm 32. So how is someone who's, you know, young kind of in, involved in this space? Um, well, I've actually been at it for a while. Uh, I kind of like to jump back to when I was 16. So for half my life now, I've had a Roth IRA. Uh, so my my mother and my grandfather were both CPAs and kind of preached uh, financial literacy that I should get started early. I really thank them for that. So uh, kind of got started when I, I earned some money one summer, started investing from there and just contributing to it and accumulating, um, you know, more and more capital within that account. Uh, fast forward about 10 years from then, uh, my mother and my grandfather, who I had mentioned, unfortunately, both passed away. But they were nice enough to actually leave my sisters and I with their specifically their retirement accounts. Uh, it wasn't really a life changing amount of money, but it was enough that I kind of, you know, I need to like respect their um, their legacy, everything they worked for. And I don't really want to, you know, kind of put it on the the, the hottest uh, item I could invest in and, and kind of blow it up. So um, started looking at where I could deploy the funds uh, had been growing more and more, um, you know, less and less trusting, you could say, of the stock market, wanted to kind of take them into alternative assets. And so I looked into how I could deploy them into commercial real estate, uh, what that was going to take. And, uh, and, and I have an analytical mind, so I kind of dove in as much as I can to answer as many of the questions as possible before I, I got started. I ended up transitioning within that space to the active side, and uh, now I syndicate commercial properties. Um, so could you spend a couple of minutes, Josh, uh, explaining to the audience in, in your opinion, um, does that make it a better time, a worse time? How does that impact the multifamily opportunities that are out there? Um, we'll say it's a different time. Uh, we have to start structuring our deals a little differently and expecting, um, lending terms to come in, uh, much, much more differently, differently and, uh, kind of needing to 
be a bit more conservative on our our um, projections. A lot of the times we come into a property, we acquire it with whatever debt uh, we can, and we're looking to refinance in three or four years. And so now if we do plan to refinance, we need to look at refinancing with higher interest rates um, using you know more conservative assumptions uh, and and lower proceeds, assuming that the the properties are not going to be appreciating at the clip that they have been the last two, three years, um, and just kind of taking a step back, uh, maybe not. Um, and the nice thing is we've actually seen in the last few weeks already that sellers are kind of taking a price cut. they're there's taking a step back and understanding because the capital markets have changed so much. Uh, you know, we, we can't acquire the properties at the, the cost that we have been uh, in the last, you know, couple months. So um, things are starting to adjust and move already. So it's interesting. I've been through a, a few cycles uh, already in, in the business. And this time around, I'm noticing that the market is responding almost in real time, which Typically in real estate, we, in my experience, we, we typically lag um, at least a full quarter, if not two or three quarters. Um, what, what do you think the reason for that is that we're getting such a, a quick response from the market this time around? Uh, that's, a, I mean, it's a great question. Um, and I think so much of it just centers around, you know, the, we're in the information age. We see um, stock trading moving at a, a faster rate because, of, you know, of the predominance of algorithms. And um, I think we're we're in an environment where a lot of the institutional buyers as well are, are implementing the same tactics within the commercial space. And so I think as they kind of take a step back and pull back, we're seeing the, the pool of buyers dwindle or adjust their approach. And so we as smaller operators uh, who are institutional have to adapt at the same time. And the sellers really have to change you know, their expectations. Could you talk to the audience a little bit about your specialty and, and the niche that you're working in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as I kind of mentioned, because I came into it from a passive angle, I understood and now understand what uh, passive investors are looking for and the things that they're needing to kind of adjust their investing strategy for when they're looking at, you know, cash discretionary funds compared to uh, retirement accounts. Um, so because of that, I ended up building, you know, for myself, and I realized I could use it on the active side, I ended up building a UBIT calculator. Um, so this is for folks who aren't aware of the term, UBIT is unrelated business income tax. And even though it's a tax deferred account, uh, when you invest in leveraged uh, assets, there is actually an associated tax that comes with it. And typically it's at a pretty high interest rate. So I needed to figure out really what the impact was gonna to be to my returns. And uh, and now that I have that built out, I can actually run every one of our deals through, not just doing the normal typical financial due diligence, I add this extra layer. And because of that, we can then structure the deals in a way that allows us to kind of minimize that tax, um, boost that IRR, and really figure out how investors can maximize their returns and not be taken out by the taxes associated with it. What does it take for us to be able to make these investments with you? Yeah, it's a bit more simple than um, most people would imagine. Um, I kind of start with saying, if you're thinking of certain retirement funds in your head right now, uh, if they are in a 401k and they're with your current employer, most likely you won't be able to use them. Um, some, some of the 401k programs need to allow for what's called a um, an in-service 
uh, roll over, but most don't allow for it. Um, so you'll have to either um, move on from that employer or retire, and then you can access those funds. But if you have an old 401k or an IRA, yeah, I mean, a self-directed IRA is really no different than a standard IRA. It's kind of just a marketing term the industry's put on it. And so when you transfer the funds from an IRA to a self-directed IRA, you're just rolling things over. There's no tax situation there. Um, but yeah, you're typically just going to open up a custodial account at an IRA um, company that allows for um, alternative assets. Usually, you know, if you're holding it at a Schwab or Fidelity Vanguard, they only deal with inequities. And so there are specific custodians who will allow you to invest in really anything you want, um, crypto, real estate, whatever it might be. And um, from there, once you have that account, you can deploy the funds however you see fit. And do, let's say I have a million dollars in my 401k, um, do I have to move the, the entire amount over? Can that be broken up? Yeah, not at all. I mean, you can move a dollar over anywhere between a dollar and a million dollars. Uh, however much you want to deploy into alternate assets, that's what you should bring over. Okay, so uh, it's a fairly low bar to get uh, our uh, accounts in order to be able to make the investment. Um, what in, in your process, uh, what are the next steps? Um, so let's see, the next steps uh, one thing I should mention is there's there's really two different types of these accounts. So you should essentially decide how you want to deploy these funds. Uh, if you have them at a custodian, um, there's going to be a process where every time you make a decision on your investment, you have to fill out paperwork and send it into the custodian. And that can take some time. There's a bit of red tape and, and they need to check into everything, kind of cross their T's and dot their I's. And so um, it can be a bit of a hassle and you might have to pay extra fees to have them process that paperwork. Um, I like to kind of use a different structure and I would suggest it for folks who are really just going passive because um, there are some um, rules around it that you want to make sure you're not uh, violating, but uh, you open up uh, an LLC as well. And a lot of providers will do both of these steps for you, but not just open the account, but also establish an LLC. And from there, the IRA makes an investment and owns 100% of the shares of the LLC. And so from there, you're the manager of the LLC. You have a bank account, just like any other business would have. And you can make the decisions on the fly. I kind of like to say you can find a deal at breakfast and fund it by lunch. Um, you're, you're the one that's making the calls and all you pay is a simple wire fee. Um, beyond that, yeah, I mean, you're just essentially trying to connect with um, any kind of opportunity that you you want, whether it's syndicators or you're, you're talking to brokers and uh, real estate agents to find properties. Um, once you have everything established and you have the funds sitting in cash, it's not really a lot different than using cash itself. Um, few rules you want to look out for, but beyond that, yeah, it just moves around like like normal funds. Are you... Are you structuring um, deal by deal raises? Are you structuring, you know, uh, just a blind pool where here's the allotment and uh, you're going to go out and, and take these assets down? Could you walk us through the process there? Yeah, absolutely. I actually had an investor ask this exact question 30 minutes ago. So um, we are doing the, the single uh, fund model where we're looking at one property. You make the call. You get to do your own due diligence on, on if you like you know, what we put together. Um, I think we're going to be looking at that fund of fund models as the market softens uh, and in probably in the next year or two. Um, my, my one main hesitation, to be perfectly honest, is those funds have an expiration date. They have to acquire the properties by a certain moment. 
And so a lot of folks were getting into that situation where they had to acquire properties and with prices sky high, they were kind of shoehorning horning things into that fund. Um, as things soften and we're going to have more options available to us, I think that's when we might start looking at that, that model. What can I expect? What's the experience like after, you know, you've sent over a couple of memorandums and I say, oh, this one's this one's for me. You know, it, uh, I actually know this area. Uh, I think it's poised for a lot of growth. What, what can I expect to happen here? Yeah. So we run all of our, our opportunities through a, a, a specific portal where you can review those documents. You can download them and you can take them to however you want to, um, you know, run through them for you or yourself. And, as well. Um, from there, you can sign, you e-sign there, you wire funds directly, all the information comes from there and you, you wire funds. And then we run you know, the deal through there. So we've got all of our updates, we provide those monthly, and then we usually pay out quarterly um, from there. And um, we structure our deals 70-30 split with an 8% preferred return. So you know, we're looking to, you can keep track of all your distributions through the portal as well. And uh, everything's transparent. We're available at all times to answer any questions you might have about um, the property struggles or successes, uh, what we see in the market. And um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty seamless process and it, it's fairly passive, um, however hands-on or off you want to be. Okay, so the money goes into the retirement fund, and what does the taxable event look like? How is that handled? Yeah, so the way it's structured essentially um, also mirrors how the taxes come into play. So um, let's say you're investing in a leveraged property, right? And so let's say it's 75% LTV to make it simple. 75% um, of the income is coming from non-tax deferred funds. Uh, you know, it's coming from a bank that's lending you the, the capital. So when you have, let's say $100 income come into your you know, retirement account, 25% of it was earned by your retirement account, totally tax-free. 75% of it was not tax deferred capital. And so you have to pay taxes on that 75%. So every year there's a calculation based on what that leverage was. And then you got to figure out how much you're going to pay out of that. The nice thing is, because uh, multifamily is a high um, loss space where we've got the, you know, we use accelerated depreciation, um, we've got a lot of expenses and everything. You can use all of those just at that exact same rate. Let's say it's 75%, you can use three quarters of them to help offset that income. And so that's what essentially what my calculator does is figures out what that allocation of losses will be against the income. And so when you actually have to pay, it comes directly out of that retirement account. You don't actually have to have any cash available to pay it. Your retirement account pays the taxes for you. Um, but the nice thing is because of those losses, you can offset pretty much all of your cash flow. I haven't really seen any deals where there aren't enough losses stacked up to help or to you know not offset all of the uh, the distributions you see on just um, you know rental income. Uh, when it comes to capital gains, you'll have some funds left over, sorry, some losses left over to help offset those capital gains. But that's typically when you're going to see the uh, any kind of loss or sorry, any type, kind of tax. Um, but it's it's in terms of its impact, I kind of look at it from a um, like an annual percentage base. So if we're just kind of general numbers, if we're trying to double money within five years, that's a 20 percent annual rate. Um, we're typically going to be our deals we've structured 
between a 10 and or sorry, a two and a 3% reduction. So you're looking at 17 to 18% returns after uh, the event. Uh, and that's essentially just because we're, we're trying to find deals where we can refinance early. So you know, we're keeping the IRR higher and getting your capital halfway through. Um, and uh, looking for properties where we can just kind of minimize that that tax implication. Um, are you focusing in one or two or three towns and or cities, or do you have holdings in a, a host of different markets? Um, we've kind of, let's see, we've got a good amount of markets under our belt, but um, the most we, we have three properties in the Sarasota Bradenton market. Um, which are by far our, our best performing ones. The um, In the last 18 months or so, the Southwest Florida market's actually been the number one market for multifamily. Um, we've seen rent increases in the 35 to 38% range um, year over year. So um, it's it's there just is no new supply coming online and uh, there are droves of people moving to the area. It's, uh, it's a desirable location. Um, nice beaches, a lot of nice community amenities. So um, as I mentioned, a lot of demographic shifts going in that direction. What is the strategy and, and how have you guys handled um, having one or two buildings in uh, any particular market? Not enough for, say, full-time crews, full-time supers, full-time maintenance, full-time construction. Uh, how do you manage that? Uh, well, so we... I would say the number one way is working with the same property managers across a good portion of our, our properties. So uh, we're working with two companies that we're very familiar with. Um, you know, we've got a decent help hold on the asset management side of things. Um, we, we have a, a good background in pro project management and that's essentially what asset management is. But when it comes to property management, just as it is with any level of real estate, whether it's single family, commercial of any type, um, it all starts and ends uh, and is it, it's so critical to find uh, the right property manager. So we've got a couple that we really like working with, um, understand how they work. And so we'll typically have full-time you know, staff or requiring properties that are the right size to, to have that um, on site. And, uh, you know, they've got dedicated construction teams. We typically run all of our um, actual construction through them unless it's a really big project. And then we'll use them in addition to a, you know, an outside uh, construction firm that we bring in as well. You probably get uh, a lot of packages and you probably have folks sending you opportunities uh, quite a bit. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And brokers have a lot more time right now than they used to. Yeah. So. What does a good deal look like for you? What are the metrics you're focusing on? Um, so, I mean, I kind of touched on it already. We're looking for things that have um, some general value add component um, where, you know, we're, we're experienced in, in coming in and kind of rehabbing those units and uh, resurfacing countertops, replacing, you know, fronts on boxes and everything. Um, metrics, we're looking for opportunities that are, you know, they already have, um, you know, it is kind of hard to find assets right now that don't have good occupancy, but ones that, um, you know, either they're at 100% occupancy and they, they aren't charging the right rents. I mean, you never really want to be at 100%. So um, ones that aren't, you know, taking a focus on that or, um, you know, they're, they're just managed by like a mom and pop or like a one-off property manager who's not really fully experienced in larger, um, you know, multifamily properties. And so 
occupancy for whatever reason in this market is actually in the 80s or low 90s. Um, so yeah, we're looking for that uh, places where we can really come in with a large rehab budget. Um, we'll see how things shake out now, but we've been focusing on a lot of opportunities that we could use bridge debt where 100% of the, the rehabs included in that um, in that loan. Is there a minimum uh, fixed, you know, term on debt that you're you're considering when you're acquiring these buildings now? Is it a certain amount of years that you want a fixed deal? Yeah, I would I would say so. Um, you know, we we structure them around five or six years, and we want terms that can actually match that as well. Um, you know, bridge in the past has been it's it's three plus one plus one, and so we need something that can at least stretch for five years where we can, you know, uh, get some leeway time, uh, between the, the two and five year mark where we, we know rates will match what we can, um, afford and, and be able to take on, uh, at that point. We may not get as much as, as we thought we were going to get here, but we're, we're probably going to get a better deal down South now, and we'll be in a higher uh, interest rate environment, but, um, the price will, will be commensurate to that increase rate. Does the flow of people abate, stay steady, increase? What do you see here? Yeah, I mean, there's, as we see with the market right now, there are so many indicators pushing in all directions. It's not like past environments where you could look at a bunch of downward, you know, pressure and be like, oh, yeah, it's coming. Um, you don't, I mean, there's, there's stuff all over. I just, um, I, I put together kind of like an economic newsletter for my investors. And uh, recently, I just saw that the rate of people moving in the past year is has been steadily declining since 1980. We're looking at one out of 12 people every year. Uh, is actually moving out of their their homes. And so as supply is drying up, you're seeing fewer and fewer people actually move. Um, so you're going to see, you know, limited areas where, I mean, we're going to see a really large disparity between certain markets where sellers in some markets are going to be getting a pitiful return on what they thought they had and other ones are going to be booming. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think... But you're going to see a lot of folks that are uh, investors who are realizing that's the case. And so they might be trying to get out at a breakneck speed that we've seen um, before it kind of the, the situation exacerbates even further. That said, because of that lower moving rate, maybe people don't move around as much uh, because you're seeing people double and triple up in apartments kind of locked in homeowners who have had incredibly low interest rates aren't going to be selling. And so folks are kind of moving more towards renting, but there, if there's no supply there to meet them, it's a tricky situation. And where do they go? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know where they go. And, and if there's no supply to meet them, and again, we touched on this a bit earlier, uh, we're finding, and this started before the rates really started to, to jump on us that a lot of construction projects are being taken off the board. Uh, you know, the which is another anomaly. The supply chain issues have really stunted um, expansion in many, many, many markets. Yeah, I mean, it really has. Um, you know, we, we in the properties we own in Sarasota, uh, we only saw two uh, properties coming online in the uh, coming, I think it was three quarters. Um, to compete with us. And 
honestly, they're taking much longer to complete than you would ever see. Um, my next door neighbor actually runs uh, a development company who's putting together a whole, um, you know, condo project around the corner from us. And, you know, they're throwing everything up. And I was able to see the difference between how fast things were moving when they first started the project last summer and trying, they're trying to finish, um, looks like 12 units right now and it's moving so slowly uh and they're actually seeing the first time where these properties aren't there's single family you know uh, but uh they're not getting 20 30 offers on them and we're, we're they just it took them three or four days until they had a single offer and they're just kind of sitting there so especially the the higher um priced ones yeah. so um you know things are are really shifting and slowing down and um I'm, I'm curious, this is going to be my, uh, the one down the street is really going to be my, my prime example of, you know, where the market is. I live in Charlotte. It's one of the hottest real estate markets in the country. And so if I can see it in real time, um, it, it must be out there in other places. And, and I'm curious how much they build out this, this development over the next year or two, if they finish it right away and try to get it before it really, you know, crumbles or if they're pausing it and, and waiting. Yeah. Um, and again, so much of that, in spite of of they could have uh, complete alignment on what they want to do. Uh, but if supply chain doesn't loosen up, it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. Right. Yeah. I mean, absent the, the materials to complete the jobs, uh, there's not a whole heck of a lot we could do about it. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing lumber prices collapse as well uh, because there's um, there's no supply and, and people are starting to build even less. And so, yeah. Yep. Uh, I thought that this would be a, a great episode for the audience and you certainly just didn't disappoint. Josh, where can f- uh, folks find you? Uh, what's the best the best place to, to find you online? Yeah, so um, the company is called Wall to Main, as in Wall Street to Main Street. Uh, this past week has been the prime example of, of why we named our company that. Um, so the website is wall2main.com. Um, so we have a, a good bit of education there where we can teach you how to use existing funds, uh, how to optimize them and, and make sure that you're deploying them in the right way. Um, and then we've also got investment opportunities. Um, I offer a free PDF called, um, I think it's like the top tips for investing in multifamily with retirement accounts. Um, so you can kind of learn all the tools of the trade to make sure you're you're deploying in, in the right way. I really appreciate the time, Josh Flave, everybody. Walter Maine, um, as always, folks out there, I know these are crazy times. Uh, stay safe. <laughs>